Hi everybody, Mike Wardrop from Encounter Church here and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. My name's Mike, I'm one of the pastors here at Encounter it's your first time here, we're so glad to have you. This is a place for you. This is a place where you can find home, a place where you can find connection, and uh, we'd love to have you connect with us here. We'd love to get to know who you are, a bit about your story, and a bit about what led you here, and what God's doing in your life. Because can I tell you something? God has got a plan for your life. Whether you know it now or you're just exploring this idea, God has a plan for you. He's starting to unpack a new purpose and hope in your life. And some of you, you've been here and and you've been meandering around. You're not quite sure the impact your life is having. You're not quite sure what you want out of life. Can I tell you, tonight is the night for you. I believe God's going to speak to you tonight. And if you are ready, if you are able, if you're willing to listen, God will reveal to you something for you, something for you in your life. This is what God does. He's not just a God who loves everyone, although he is. He's God who loves you. He's God who has a plan and a purpose for you. And so tonight, why don't we just be open to what God wants to do? All righty, let's get into the Bible. Acts chapter 2. That's how you know it's going to get fiery. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, verse 1, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me jump forward to verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, Let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Let's jump a little bit further in Acts 2 to verse 32, and then we'll jump into verse 36. This is a terrible way to read the Bible, by the way. Go home and read this whole chapter for yourself. Verse 32, it says, God has raised this Jesus... We are all witnesses of it. And then in verse 36, Peter brings it home. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. I'm going to move this over here a little bit. I feel like I'm too left. All right. Here we go. Now I can see you all. This is great. Okay. Here's what I need you to take from tonight. I'm going to say it, and then you're going to say it with me, okay? If God's going to do it through me, he's going to do it to me, okay? If God's going to do it through me, he's going to do it to me. Ready? Let's say that together. If God's going to do it through me, he's going to do it to me. If he's going to do it through me, he's going to do it to me. Now, what we want for you in this series, if you're you're fresh here, if you've just walked in and you're like, I've never been to this place before, but the music's loud, so okay, that's a vibe, Um, you know? (laughs) I swear, every time I talk to one of the interns and they're like having an important moment, they're like, you know, 
man, it's been hectic, it's a vibe. I was like, what does that mean? Like, honestly, that's barely English. String those words together, come on. In related news, I'm approaching 40. Anyway, (laughs) what we want for you in this series is to have an undeniable Holy Spirit moment. We are unashamed about that. We want this church to be a place that is Bible-fed, Spirit-led. That is, we are fed by the Word of God. I love that those kids in the correctional facility, they sleep with the Bible under their pillows because they know there's something in there that feeds their souls. But we also want to be people who are led by the Holy Spirit. So we want that for you in this series. And we want you to be willing to throw out that challenge to God. Maybe you've never had that kind of moment before. Ask God. Invite Him to do that in your spirit. You just watch, wait and see what happens. But before we get that, I, I want to talk about an R word, and this R word is relationships. Uh, you're a church of young adults, so I hear the word relationships quite a lot when I'm around you guys, um, as you're all side-eyeing each other and pretending not to be interested. It's fine. I remember being a young adult so long ago, and when I was 19, I came to faith, and it was very dramatic for me, and I came out of a, a background of just partying hard and came into faith and I was trying to work out how to live it out. And I pretty much thought that I was an incredibly nice guy. And I came to faith and I immediately thought, I'm really quite a catch. Like I'm extreme boyfriend material here. And so I would get into this mindset I, I, I called it the PGF zone, the pathetic guy friend zone, where you just, you just became really good friends with somebody and you assumed that would lead to a relationship. Spoilers, it doesn't most of the time. But I, I came to this point where I was about 19 or 20 years old and I'm working out my faith with fear and trembling and I'm getting into the deep prayers of my heart and I, I am bringing this deep real, raw, honest, like spiritually mature prayer before God as I say, God, I just really want a girlfriend. God, can you make that happen? (laughs) Amen. Cool, 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 cool. And then it doesn't happen. I'm like, oh, but I'm so nice. I'm such a nice guy. Literally, okay, literally, this is a thing I said when I was 19 years old. Be, Be kind. When I was 19 years old, I was talking to a girl I liked and I turned and looked at her and went, why do all the nice guys finish last? I'm still working through some of this. It is, it, is a, it is a living miracle that I managed to catch Jenny. Like, honestly, only Jesus, only Jesus could make that happen. Oh. So here's the thing. I was not a nice guy. I was an idiot. I was terrible boyfriend material because a relationship is, in essence, about what somebody is receiving from you. It is something where you serve one another, you love one another, lay down your life for one another. If this is the first time you've heard that, like, take notes, okay? Because you're probably working out how you're going to be in a relationship too, or you may not be doing it as well as you think you are. But it's the same sort of thing. God is doing a work through me to somebody else in a relationship. But if I'm not prepared to let that happen in me first, if I'm not prepared to die to the, the foolishness of myself, then God's not going to be able to use me to be a good partner to somebody in a relationship, And so I had to come to a point. It took me until I was 21 to just go, God, your will, not mine. If I'm single for the rest of my life, it doesn't matter. I don't don't care. It's the sort of dramatic thing you can only say when you're 21. Like, God, if I'm single for the rest of my life, like, come on, mate. You're a Christian guy in church. You'll be fine. You'll catch someone eventually. Uh, If you're, you know, if I'm single for the rest of my life, your will, not mine. But the heart, it was about aligning the heart with what God wanted. That was what changed. I suddenly became willing for God to do a work to me through to other people. 
all right? Not just, oh, I'm already in the right place, because I really wasn't. And that's one of the questions we need to challenge ourselves with church. Are we the people we think we are? Usually we're not. Usually we're not. So here's another R word. Here's another R word I hear thrown around a lot in Christian circles these days. You may be saying it online. You may be thinking it to yourself that this is what you want. You're hungry for this R word. You're passionate for it. You're praying for it. You want to see it in your home, in your community, in your friends, in your workplace, in this country. And that R word is revival. There are people all over this country that have been praying for a revival of the Holy Spirit, for God to come in power in their family, in their friends, in their workplaces, in their sporting clubs. Come on, Jesus is wanting to do a work. And there are people all over this country, like you and me, who have been saying, Holy Spirit, come. We want to see you come and do a move of power in Australia. And to that I say, amen. 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 I want to see a revival of God throughout this country. However, I want to ask the question, do we know what we're really asking for? Because when we ask for a revival of the Holy Spirit, it's got to start somewhere. It has to start somewhere. And just like I said before, if it's going to go through me, which is how God starts revivals, he works through people, it's got to go to me. It's got to work in me first. So tonight I want us to ask for a revival, but I want to do it by digging into the scripture in Acts 2 to find out what we're really asking for. Now, Acts 2 is like, like Christian comfort food. You know, you, you open it and it's just like a warm cuddle. It's just like sitting on the couch. It's basically the equivalent of watching a romantic comedy by yourself on a rainy day, I assume. Of course, that's not something I'd do. But, you know, let's say, hypothetically, Ryan Gosling. It's, if you're, it, for Christians, often it's like we read Acts 2 and we get, oh, why can't my spiritual life be like this? Why can't I see, speak in tongues and the Spirit falls in power and thousands come to faith and we all live together and share one another's possessions and we live happily ever after? And that's kind of how we phrase it in our minds, even though there's no happily ever after part. In fact, Acts 3 is the next part, and pretty much in Acts 3, people start getting dragged off to jail pretty quickly. So things start to shift, but this is the mindset we have. And so this is the stuff that happens in Acts 2. The disciples are gathered in an upper room in Jerusalem, and they are gathered there, and they're praying, and then the Spirit of God falls in power. And we hear in the Scriptures, it says that a mighty rushing wind comes, and tongues of fire come and rest upon the disciples. And they begin to speak in tongues in foreign languages. And they're in Jerusalem, and all these Jewish people from all over the world, so people who are, who are religiously Jewish but are not ethnically Jewish, so they speak other languages, have come to worship in Jerusalem, and they hear these Jewish people speaking in foreign languages, in their language. And so they say, this is weird. Something is happening. And they start to make jokes like, hey, maybe they're drunk at nine in the morning. And Peter's like, no, give us till 9.30. But, um, but he's like, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. He's saying this is a Holy Spirit moment. And so they mock the disciples. But then Peter preaches and their hearts are convicted and thousands become followers of Jesus and the church is born. It's a powerful moment. It's a revival moment. It's the sort of moment we should be craving. But it's not the whole story. 
See, we love stories like these because when we hear them, we're going, God is present. God is moving in power. If God can do that, then why not now? And that is how we should be thinking, church. That is how we should be believing about what God's doing. But we think that, and then we go, we love this story because thousands come to faith and because, frankly, it's pretty easy. Like what? You just get people on the right day and a bit of a move of God and just give a good sermon and thousands come to faith. I'm still waiting for my sermon to get that good, but... But God willing, like it, it, this is the thing. We like it in part because it's easy. We love the stories of the Billy Graham Crusades, which were amazing, that swept the world in the 50s and 60s. However, we, we want that to happen again. We don't necessarily want to do the hard work that comes with it. Here's what I think. Here's my position. I think we are craving the wrong fire, the wrong fire. So when we talk about God working and God's spirit falling and God moving, often we hear this metaphor of fire. It's again and again in Scripture. We just heard it at Pentecost, the fire falls, and we go, yes, that's what I want. I want that Holy Spirit, that big moment with God. Come on, do it. Yes. But what we don't want is the fire working in us first. See, we want the revival fire, the big Holy Spirit fire where things are happening and, and you're getting impact and people are getting saved left, right, and center. But what we don't want is the refining fire, wow. the fire that God is working on us internally, that is purifying us, burning away the things that are not of God. We don't want that because it's hard work. We don't want that because it might force us to give up a whole bunch of little gods that we've been letting reign in our lives. You know, just these little idols that take charge. Yeah, I'm getting affirmation over here. I get a lot of likes on my Instagram account. No big deal. So I'm a Christian, but also this is quite important to me. Oh, look, I'm in this relationship. I'm pretty special to them. You know, they actually really need me. Like often they go through hard times and I have to be there for them 24-7. You know, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Second time around, you know. Got to add some spice. Look, we, we ask for God's power. We ask for God's presence. But we don't want God's refining fire. And you can't have the power and presence of God without the refining fire because it will burn you up. You will come before God and say, I'm ready. And God will say, oh, are you sure about this? Is this what you want? And then you, you'll have a spiritual experience and you go, I don't want it. No, 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 no. That can't have been God. And you begin to either convince yourself that it wasn't God, or you'll just go, ah, oh, that's all I'm coming for. You'll just come for the spiritual experience, and then you'll shelve it, and next week you'll come for the next spiritual high. Like, yeah, big fan, Jesus, big fan. What about on your Mondays? Not so much on a Monday, but Sunday afternoon, love it. Music's great. Like, okay, okay. God is wanting something more for you. Now, here's what we miss in the story of Pentecost. We miss everything that came before. You have to read the Gospels to get to Pentecost, because otherwise it doesn't make any sense. You just got these disciples that have this huge Holy Spirit moment. But what we miss is all the stuff they did before. It's called formation. Formation in the image of Jesus Christ. So what they did, here's the first thing we hear of from all the disciples, is basically this. They left all their belongings and followed Jesus. They left their life, their family, their vocation, all their hobbies and interests, and, and, and left them and followed Jesus. And they began to walk with Jesus and sit at his feet and listen to his teaching. And it transformed them as human beings. And it wouldn't have transformed them if they just tuned into Jesus' messages once a week on a podcast. So they began to follow. By the way, this is why internship works. Long obedience in the same direction over time. Sign up. I'm just telling you, just do it. 
Don't even look at your schedule, just do it. <laughs> Nervous laughter. Um, the disciples didn't go to the upper room on their first day of church. They have been obediently following Jesus. And in fact, the only reason they're in the upper room in the first place is they've gone through all this stuff. They were in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is arrested and they scatter. They experienced that trial. They had all their ministry mistakes. They've screwed up a lot of times. Then they get to the crucifixion and they experience that and all that grief and agony. And then they get to the resurrection and the ascension and the just confusion and uncertainty around that. They went through that. And at the end of the ascension, they have this moment where Jesus says something really simple but profound. He says, go back to Jerusalem and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. And do you know what they do? They go back to Jerusalem and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. That's the profound message, that because of the three years that they walked with Jesus, sat at his feet, learned, listened, and obeyed, they created a pathway, a pattern for themselves, a habit of discipleship, to sit at the feet of Jesus and say, what you want is what I want. Or what about these other things I want? I'm going to bring those to you. And if you tell me they're unwise desires, I'm throwing them out. And they did that pattern by pattern, habit by habit, step by step over three years until when Jesus says, go back to the upper room and pray till the Holy Spirit comes. When's the Holy Spirit coming? Ah, I can't tell you. Got to go. Bye. Ascends. (laughs) And they just do it because they've learned the habits of sitting at the feet of Jesus. They learned the practice of obedience over time. And some of you guys, when you're wrestling with your faith, you're not actually wrestling with doubts. You're wrestling with your desire to be conformed to the image of Jesus because you know you'll have to be, give up some stuff in your life if you do that. You know God's going to convict you and ask you to change. See, the disciples, when they get to Pentecost, they're prepared for God's fire. They have gone through the refining fire of God's Holy Spirit. They've gone through persecution, trial, and human error. They become what we call resilient disciples. They are ready. And then the fire of God comes in power. This is what my wife likes to say. The offering comes before the fire. You've got to bring yourself as a sacrifice. Bring your life as a living stone, as it says in 1 Peter, as yourself, as an offering before God. And then the fire of God comes and you're prepared for it. You're actually prepared for it. You're not just going to get burnt up immediately. You're not just going to get burnt out at the first spiritual high. You're not just going to walk away. But God's going to be able to do a long-lasting work through you. Friends, can I tell you, that's what he wants to do in you. He wants to do a long-lasting work through you. Each and every one of you, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter your family history, what you know, where you've come from. God wants to do a work in and through you. If you're watching online, same goes for you. You don't have to be in the room. God wants to do a work in and through you. He loves you. He's calling you out. But you need to be prepared to go through a refining fire. So if we want to see revival sweep this nation, If we say, I want to see spiritual renewal in my heart, we have to come to the point of going, Jesus, I want you to do a refining work in my spirit. Without that, we're not going to get the other one. This is what Mark Sayers says. Corporate revival requires personal renewal. Or as I'm trying to say, there's no shortcut for revival. There's no shortcut for revival. Here's the thing. When we talk about the fire of God and the revival fire, I think sometimes we like to think of God more as a fire pit, you know, like he's neatly contained out there in the yard and, you know, we're just burning charcoal as Adelaide City Council guidelines ask us to. 
fulfilling all righteousness, definitely, just charcoal. And we're having this nice little charcoal fire, and then we get to the end of it, and we're like, well, time to turn in for the night, put a bit of water on it, and we're done. Very good. Thanks, God. It's been a lovely spiritual day. Okay, we'll catch you next time. We need a bit of fire. And God's saying, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, sweetie, no, no. Uh, This is what Hebrew says. Our God is an all-consuming fire. When we come before God, we bring all of us, and we are praying, and we, sometimes we miss this sense of awe, this sense of reverence as we come before a holy God to say, I actually need to have a, a little bit of fear, a little bit of holy awe for who you are and what you are doing. We can miss that. We can really miss that. Hebrews says it again in 1031. It says, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't get that preached on much, do you? We get more love, less terror. You can understand why, right? It preaches better, but it's no less true. There is a sense of fear and awe and reverence that we have when we come before God because we are not equals. He is God, and we are not, and that is terrifying. And as we approach God, as you think of Moses approaching the burning bush, and God says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. It's that sense of holiness that we begin to approach. And the more we approach holiness, the more we are aware of our own unholiness. Oh. And how hungry are we for revival then? How hungry are we for revival if it exposes the brokenness of our heart? and the imperfections of our life, and the fake masks we've been wearing to impress people, and the things we've been pretending we know and understand. Are we hungry for revival if it's going to cut us to the heart and expose us for who we really are? Well, there is a missing piece, thankfully, to this story. And uh, Jez, if you want to come join me, that'd be great. There is a missing piece to this story, and we hear it spoken about in Luke chapter 24, which is the story post-resurrection of the disciples working out what the heck is going on. And they gather together because they've heard, they know about the crucifixion, they witness that, and they've heard these rumors that Jesus has been sighted, and they're like, well, I mean, what is that? They're not in denial, but also that, you know, that seems too good to be true. And so these two disciples are walking together towards this little village called Emmaus, and they're discussing all these events. And suddenly, and suddenly this person, this stranger, comes alongside and asks them what they're talking about. And they're like, bro, you have not heard about Jesus? So they tell them all the Jesus news. And they say, but unfortunately, we think it's all over because he was crucified. So I guess that's it. I guess we were wrong. And this stranger says to them, are you that slow? And he takes their text, their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and he shows it to them and he starts to unpack what it means, what it means that the Messiah, the Christ, had to die and would be resurrected again. And this is what God's promise was for them, that the fire of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in them, couldn't come unless the Messiah had died to overcome the grave and be resurrected. And so they're wrestling with this idea. And they're like, this is so good. Come to dinner with us. He's like, oh, okay, okay. So he goes to dinner with them in Emmaus. And they're gathered around a table, and he picks up this bread, and he blesses it, and he blesses the home, and he breaks the bread. And in the text, it says, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they looked, and they saw the face of their Savior, Jesus among them, and Jesus vanishes. And they turn to each other in excitement, and this is what they say, weren't our hearts burning within us? When he spoke to us. You see, 
all this talk about holiness and sin and brokenness can be a bit heavy and a bit scary. But God does this in the context of a relationship with you. And he does it in the context of someone who has gone all the way to make a way for you. He has gone from heaven to earth. He is not an equal with us, but he has made himself nothing. He is, Philippians says he's emptied himself, made himself nothing to be like us. God came in the form of Jesus. He lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserved, and the sin and wrath and judgment of God rested on him because without judgment, God isn't just. And we don't want a God who isn't just. And all of that rested on Jesus. And in his death, in the death of God on the cross, he died for you and for me, but he rose again. And that's the good news. Death couldn't hold him down because he did not himself sin. And so for you and me, we can live in the resurrection life. We can access the fire, the presence and power of God through the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done. But it starts with us saying, God, I want you to do that work in me. I want the refining fire. I want more of you. Again, it's a relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about knowing God. Sometimes we think it's about doing what God tells us. You don't need to worry about that because you want to do it the deeper you get into relationship. And if you don't want to, it's the relationship you want to work on, not the obedience. Here's what God wants for you. He wants to meet you face to face. He wants to show you your weaknesses, not because he wants you to feel terrible about yourself, to feel any shame, but to show you the fullness of who he is as God. And he wants to fill you with the fire of his Holy Spirit. To do it, you just need to invite the refining fire. You need to say, God, I'm a sinner. God, I've been far from you. By the way, this isn't just if this is your first time here. This is for Christians who have been Christians all their life. We need to come to this place again and again and say, God, I need you. I need you. We're going to come to a moment for that in a second. And before we do that, I just, I just need to say something. We are a church that does want to see revival. That we are a church that wants to see God break out in power and see the earth transformed into the image of God, where every tear is wiped away where we are filled with joy, whereas there is no more sorrow and no more heartache. And we believe that when Jesus comes again, that's going to happen in full. But in the meantime, we get to be partners in that project, the kingdom of God project. That's for you. It's for me. And to do that, we believe we need that Emmaus Road heart. We need to meet Jesus. We need to have him unpack ourselves to us. And then we need to have hearts on fire for Jesus. That's who we are here at Encounter Church. Like if you've been a part of church before and you're like, oh, don't you just turn up on Sunday? No way, not here, not ever. Sunday is where you come for your spiritual petrol station so that you're ready for the mission field on Monday. This is where we gather for worship and celebration. It's where our hearts are convicted. It's where people are changed and transformed into the image of Christ so that you go out into the world to be salt and light. And they say there is something going on in you, something that I don't see in the rest of the world. It happens all the time. Time. I was talking to a new person this morning. I said, what brought you to church? And she's like, literally, only my friend here. Because 
every time I spoke to them, they just kept saying how great church was. And I, I just saw something different about them and that I didn't have and I needed it. So here I am. And yeah, last week I made a decision for Jesus. And this is happening because of you. Because of people who in humility say, I need God more than I need to rest on my own pride, my own ego, my own strength. Some of you are here. You've been Christians for a long time and you're wondering why you're stuck in your faith. The reason is because you need to get on your knees and say, God, I need you more than I need to be right. I need you more than I need to be in charge. It's a hard word. I'm getting less amens by the end. I tell you, God loves you. He's here for you. He's here for you. And tonight we're going to come to that moment. I want to invite people who want that in their spirits. This is not a youth camp thing. This is an everyday lifestyle thing. Hearts on fire for Jesus, filled with the Spirit of God, transforming the world into God's image because he loves the world. He loves you. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you're able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We'd love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.